0: Father, we thank you so much for your great love and faithfulness to each of us. We thank you, Lord, for your son who died on the cross for our sins and rose again. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is here with us at this very moment and who is our teacher and our guide, the one who leads us into your truth. And we thank you for your word, Father. May it be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Father, may we hear the things that you would say to us this morning. And may you be glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 5 of Luke, verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood up by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, master, We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Somewhere between chapter 4 and chapter 5, Jesus' ministry moved from the synagogues in Galilee to open-air preaching by the Lake of Gennesaret. Now, the Lake of Gennesaret, it's just another name for what we know as the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, there's not, not a lot of people who f- remember that it's called the Sea of Tiberius, but it's very important to me because that's James Kirk's middle name. James Tiberius Kirk from So, the lake, never mind. (laughs) So, here we're going to see an amazing scene where uh, the people are pressing in to hear the word of God. There's a miraculous catch of fish, a divine career change for the fishermen. And I'm excited. I think this is a cool passage because, really, what we're going to see for the first time um, is Jesus calling his disciples. Now, if you're fans of The Chosen, uh, which I am, I believe they put this scene in the first season. It's the only scene I've been really disappointed in throughout The Chosen because there was like eight people on shore and they needed more extras because the crowd being talked about here is not like eight or ten people, right? So in the first three verses, it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, saw two boats standing by the lake, and the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, And he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So the word for multitude here means a throng of people. It's a large crowd of people. That's why that scene, even though I love it, and I love the fish, and I love Peter falling down before Jesus in the scene, um, they really, they didn't have that many people. (laughs) They needed more extras. That's all I'm getting at. That was the first season. They couldn't afford it yet. They just needed a few more extras. That's all. That's all. But if they were, they were all standing on the shore and this word here as they were pressed about him to hear the word of God. So they were actually crowding Jesus and it would have been difficult for those in the middle or back to hear. And I imagine Jesus didn't really feel like getting pushed into the lake at the time uh, because the people were pressing into him. You ever been to a concert? Um, I've been to concerts where I wanted to be down front, right? General admission. And you know what happens at the front? There is a throng of people pressing. Now, thankfully, I'm a big guy and there's not too many people who are a lot bigger than me. And so usually I could force my way down front. But that's the idea. That's the picture I want you to get in your head without the loud music, um, is they were just, they were really pressing in. But I love, because what were they pressing in to do? We're pressing in to hear the word of God, which is beautiful to me. So Jesus asked, I think he asked Simon, you know, he said he got in the boat that it was Simon's. I don't, I don't think that was a surprise. Jesus knew whose boat it was, right? And, and I think that was very much on purpose. And, and they push out a little bit from shore so Jesus can speak to this crowd. He sits down on the boat and he does so. Now, when they pressed about him to hear the word of God, This word means they were imposing themselves upon him and literally pushing their way forward to try to get to Jesus and hear the word taught. And that is so cool. It's a vital point, I think, of application for us, right? They were not there for the cool praise band. Now, don't get me wrong. Deb and I are kind of cool. And when my my wife and daughter, they were kind of cool. Not that cool, though. We're not that cool. They weren't there because there was a fancy cathedral or beautiful furniture or stained glass windows. They weren't there because there was delicious coffee in the lobby. Now, I love coffee, and Roy makes a stiff cup of coffee. But I'm going to bet we don't come to church for that. They didn't come because the pastor was wearing skinny jeans and boots. It's a little dig at Louis Giglio. I love Louis Giglio. He is an amazing teacher. I love his messages, but he's like 60 years old and, and he wears skinny jeans and high heel boots. Don't do that. No man should ever do that. If you get nothing else out of today, besides the fact that Jesus loves you, no man should ever wear skinny jeans and boots. That is not how God made us as men. They weren't there to get their ears tickled by the latest pop theology self-help sermon. Why were they there? To hear the word of God and to get closer to Jesus. That's why we should be here. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall... Be filled. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, or sorry, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we have a cultural problem in our country. It is a cultural problem. We are a nation of consumers. And as a nation of consumers, what is typically at the forefront of our minds and typically at the forefront of our motives is what do I get out of it? What do I get out of it? Right? You're going to make me walk into Walmart. What am I going to get? You're going to make me go to the mall. What can I buy? right? I'm going to go on Amazon. Don't go on Amazon. If you go on Amazon, right, there are literally, I can't remember, I heard this recently, but there's like over a billion items that you can purchase on Amazon. But why does that exist? Because Jeff Bezos, uh, whatever you want to think about him, he was wise. And he said, you know, if we put everything at people's fingertips on the internet, they will buy it. And he was right. Because we're a nation of consumerism. Well, and, and there's nothing wrong with buying stuff on Amazon or going shopping at Walmart if you need to, but the problem is we have this mindset now where we think it's about us. Where we think it's about what do I get out of this? And if you come to church with that attitude, and I know none of you do, you're all perfect or close. If that's the church we, the attitude we come to church with, the church is going to be a very miserable place. Because I don't come here for what I can get. I come here to get close to him and to be in his word. And then beyond that, I don't come here for what I can get, but for what I can give. That's my goal. Now, you all know me. That doesn't always happen. There are I have bad days. We all have bad days. And and that's just part of life. But church is not about consumerism. It's about contribution. I'm not talking about money or, or any of that stuff. I'm talking about we as a church family giving to one another, giving of ourselves to one another, being a community, a family of faith. That's what God calls us to. And if you're here thinking, well, what what am I going to get today? Then you're going to have a difficult time. Now, you should come expecting to hear a message um, because, you know, you're paying me to do this, so I better do it. Uh, and, And you should come with a desire to hear the word of God, a desire to get closer to the Lord. But you should also be coming with an idea and an attitude of, I, I'm, it's not about me. It's not about what I can get. Right? Because we're all in this together. And I love the picture we have here. Jesus wasn't wearing skinny jeans and boots on that beach. Right? There was no fancy cathedral. There were no comfortable chairs. He wasn't holding a cup of Starbucks. Favorite thing I got from John. Uh, he went to Israel, our son went to Israel. And he came back. Well, he bought me a shofar, which I keep forgetting to bring to my office. A ram's horn. It's so cool. Um, but he, uh, he took a picture of this coffee shop called Star and Bucks. Not Starbucks. Not associated. But they had a green sign. And he, goes, he, was, he said, we were in this place in Israel where copyright just meant nothing. They just didn't care. There was multiple things like that. But it said star and box. But that's not why they were there, was it? Verse 5. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said to him, Master, We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. I emphasize that for a very good reason. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. After his message, Jesus told Simon to take the boat out and go fishing. And I like Simon's response. And, and so let's put ourselves in Simon Peter's position. Right? He's, it's, they've been working all night long, probably went out on the lake shortly after sunset. And now it's after sunrise. They had probably been fishing for 10, 12 hours, throwing the net in, pulling it out, throwing the net in, pulling it out, moving the boat, throwing the net in, pulling it out for nothing. Now it's morning. They want to go home. Peter wants to go see Eden before he goes to bed. Right, okay, that's not not her name in the Bible. That's from the Chosen. But he wants to go home, but he's washing his nets. Most likely they had mended the nets because the nets would get torn. And then this guy goes, let me borrow your boat so I can finish my sermon. And I just want to go home. Okay, you can borrow the boat. And then the sermon's over. And I'm guessing Jesus is a little more long-winded than I am. So maybe that was an hour-long sermon. Maybe it wasn't. And he goes, all right, let's go fishing. And I could just imagine the look on Simon's face like, "We, we did that. We've been doing it all night. The fish aren't out there right now. But Jesus said, go let down your nets. And Peter said, at your word, I'll let down the net. So he was almost obedient, kind of obedient, right? I want you just to to put this, because we know what happens, we've already read it, but one net caught two boatloads of fish. What if he would have let down all the nets, which is what Jesus told him to do? Just throwing that out there. Nevertheless, at your word, I will, he said. So he makes his excuses. He probably even argued at least within himself a little bit. And he sort of obeyed the word of Jesus. Peter rose out. He lets down a net. And the catch was so big that the net was breaking. They had to call their partners, which we know is James and John. They come over with their other boat. They fill both boats. And I love this because I believe there are times that God wants us to go let down the nets to go back and try one more time. You ever think about that? Maybe it's something we've tried before. Maybe it's a person you've shared the gospel with or, or you've attempted to be obedient at something and it didn't work out and God's telling you to go back and try again. Or maybe it's something new. God's calling you to something and you're afraid to step out into that something because you've tried to do things in the past that failed. Whatever the case, our answer needs to be like Simon's. Now, we we need to be a little more obedient and argue a little less or a lot less. But what did his answer end up being? At your word, I will. I love that statement. Five very simple words. At your word, I will. Now, the easiest place to start with that is right here. You read this, and you go, At your word, I will. And then as God makes things more specific and clear for you, that should always be be our answer the next thing that happens after the fishing is peter falls at jesus knees depart from me for i am a sinful man O lord i personally believe that it was at this moment that simon peter came to faith in christ i do right surely he would need more help along the way Peter would struggle. He would fall. He would sin. He would have issues, things that Jesus would deal with in his life. But it doesn't doesn't change that right here, Peter, A, bowed to Jesus. B, recognized his own sinfulness before him and unworthiness of being in his presence. And C, recognized him as Lord. That's exactly what we're called to do. We all need to come to Jesus, every single one of us. We have to know he is the king. We have to recognize that we are unworthy sinners, and then we have to acknowledge him as the Lord of our lives. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6. I don't usually do this, but if you would join me back in Isaiah chapter 6, I turned right to it. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. And we visited this passage on a few occasions over the last couple years, Um, but it just kept popping into my head while I was studying this week, and I went, okay, all right, Lord, let's go there. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It's on page 846 in my Bible. It's probably very unhelpful to you. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom? Shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here am I. Send me. In the opening of this passage, Isaiah sees God. Seated on his throne. He sees a heavenly scene of worship. He sees the seraphim. I think there's a reason that many times in scripture when we see angels appearing to a people, they appear like men because this is what they really look like. And I'm just saying, I can't imagine they're four foot tall looking like this. I'm thinking they're eight, ten feet tall. Who knows? So just imagine a creature in front of you that's ten feet tall, that has six wings, that they cover their face with two of them, They cover their feet with two and they fly with the other two and they're crying out worship to God seated on the throne. I cannot imagine being Isaiah seeing this. I'm so grateful he wrote it down for us. One day we will see it and we'll participate. But I can, I mean, just picture poor Isaiah. He didn't have the word of God, right? For some reason, God chose to show me a vision like this. I'd be like, hey, that's like what Isaiah saw. I've got that. Isaiah was like, (laughs) I don't know what he would have been thinking. It would have been crazy. But what's his response? It's so similar to Peter's. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And I've seen the king. And it's recorded other places in scripture that if you see God, you're going to die. He knows this. But Isaiah needed the same thing that Peter needed, which is the same thing that we need, which is to be cleansed from our sin. For Isaiah, that meant the angel touching the coal of his lips and declaring his sin purged. For Peter and for us and for every other human being, we can only be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 John 1:7 it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 it says from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins In his own blood. There is no other way. There is no effort we can make that will cleanse us from our sin. There is no work that we can do that will cleanse us from our sin. I don't care how good you are, how nice you are, how much money you give, how often you go to church, how many old ladies you help across the street. I don't care. None of it will save you. Okay, I want you to help old ladies across the street. Please do that. Um, I'm going to admit something, and this will give you all a reason why my wife should have killed me a long time ago. Um, But to this day, I've been doing it for such a long time. She's rolling her eyes at me. To this day, whenever we cross the street, I'll hold her hand and say, I'm going to get my merit badge for helping an old lady across the street. (laughs) Now you know why I should be dead. But my wife is patient and beautiful and awesome and amazing and she puts up with me for some reason. Because we can't do it on our own. In the presence of God, Isaiah recognized that he was undone. In the presence of Jesus, Peter recognized that he was undone. We come to that place where A, when we know the holiness of God, that leads to B, that we are unworthy of it. And the only way we can be saved, the only way we can be cleansed, the only way we can be forgiven is the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Now last week, you can go back to Luke if you'd like. Um, Last week as we finished up Luke, or not, as we went through our message last week, we noticed that Luke, or Jesus, wow, I'm going to get one of these names right that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and she got up and served them. And we talked about that. The moment that Isaiah is cleansed, God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah goes, me! I'm right here. Send me. Similar to Peter's, at your word, I will. And then what we're going to see from Peter in verse 11, that they forsook all and followed him. It's very much the same for us. And I've said this before, and it was when we were in Isaiah chapter 6, but it's good for us to hear it. When God asks, we say yes. When God commands, we say at your word, I will. That's our response. We don't do it because we're strong and great and wonderful, but because the Holy Spirit is in us and the word of God teaches us and guides us. But we need to say yes, even before we know the question. That's what Isaiah did. In that passage, God goes on to tell Isaiah what he wants him to do. But he said yes before he had that information. When God says, I need you to do something, okay, I'll do it. We don't have to ask what it is. We don't even have to know the details. One of my favorite examples of this is Philip. Up in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Philip's in the midst of a revival in Caesarea, and the Holy Spirit says, Hey, Philip, go hang out in the middle of nowhere. Right? Go down to this road. It was literally in the middle of nowhere. There was no town. There was no inn. There was no restaurant, no gas station. There was nothing. And he says, Go. And Philip doesn't go, We're in the middle of nowhere. A great revival. People are getting saved. I'm sharing the word. People are prophesying. This is awesome. Lord, I. it th- th- doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I'm staying here. No, God says, go to the middle of nowhere. And Philip goes, okay. So he gets down to the desert. and he, I, I, I always, because it's just the way my mind works. I wonder what Philip was thinking again. He's out in the middle of the desert. All right, Lord, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Now what? And then he sees a chariot going down the road. And God says, go after the chariot. So he goes after the chariot. And when he gets to the chariot, he hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, nonetheless. And at that moment, he doesn't need anything else. He runs up and he goes, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch goes, I I got no idea. Philip goes, would you mind if I told you? he does and the guy gets saved then he gets baptized and then philip gets beamed away to another city and it's so cool but philip said yes before he actually knew the question and he went and as a result of that this is my favorite part of it as a result of that history tells us that christianity took hold in ethiopia much stronger and much earlier than it did in other places in africa Because the eunuch went home and preached the gospel. He must have. That, to me, is fantastic. In John 14, verses 15 to 21, Jesus tells us this. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He who has my commandments and keeps them. There's a lot of people who have heard the word of God. There's a lot of people who have been exposed to the gospel. There's a lot of of people who are Christians who sit in church week after week. They hear the word taught and they walk out and act like nothing happened. I'm not saying this is you. If you're feeling convicted right now, that's between you and God. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But if we hear this and we don't let God use it to change us not just our hearts, but the way we live, then what's the point? It's not just about coming to church so we feel good about ourselves and feel like we checked off a box. It's about getting closer to him and hearing his word. Do you see the big circle we just went in? I hope so, because this is the big circle we just went in. We started with the people pressing in to get close to Jesus and hear his word, and we have circled around now to this place where we hear his word, and we obey it because we're close to him. That's how this works. It's not so we get saved. I don't obey him all the time anyway, but I don't obey him so I can get saved. I want to obey him because I am. Because I know what he's done for me. I want to honor him with my life. I want To shine the light of the gospel in the world around me. And that's where the divine career change comes in. Verse 9. For he and all who were with him there were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. After the astonishment of the catch of fish, which included James and John, and we know that Andrew was probably there as well, Jesus calls his first disciples, as we see it in the book of Luke. We know from the other Gospels that the Gospels, not the, no. Um, we know from the other Gospels that Jesus had interaction with these men before this scene took place. But here, for the first time, he calls them to follow him. Now, he starts with, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Now, something that I have noticed in all the years that I've been reading and studying the Bible is every time God tells somebody not to be afraid, it's probably because they already are. You ever notice that? You know, do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of uh, of great joy. Because the shepherds were probably scared to death when the angels appeared in the sky. When the angel appeared to Zechariah, as Gabriel appeared, don't be afraid. It's okay. I got something to tell you. (laughs) Right? Because that would have been my response. But over and over and over again, throughout scripture, God says, do not be afraid because he knows us. And if you're anything like me, when God asks you to take a step of faith, It's scary. So it's a safe bet they were quite afraid at this point. And he says this to them because he already knew that. And he didn't want them to be. But he says, from now on, from this moment forward and for the rest of your life, that's what from now on means, you will have a new occupation. We spoke of being ambassadors for Christ last week. In 2 Corinthians 5. And we know from another, a number of other places in Scripture uh, that we are commanded by the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples. You can read that in Matthew 28, Mark 16. We'll get there in Luke 24. As well as Paul's command to every believer to do the work of an evangelist and fulfill our ministry in 2 Timothy 4. We know this. But I'm going to come back to something I said just a few minutes ago. Are we doing it? And I don't ask this question of you because I'm perfect. You already know that, but I feel like I have to say it because I don't want you to feel like I'm going, you know what, you're all a bunch of really bad Christians and I'm a really good Christian, you better. That's not my idea. When I say this, it's because I have to answer this question too. Are we doing it? James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I want you to just notice, we visited this passage on multiple occasions, but I want you to notice something very specific. The person who hears the word, and then does not live it out, is lying to themselves. Maybe they're just lying to themselves about being obedient. Maybe we're just lying to ourselves that we're we're truly listening or we're truly following Christ. Maybe that person is lying to themselves about even being a Christian. Yeah, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm fine. Really? How do you know? I go to church. (laughs) That doesn't matter. I believe in God. Talked about that last week. Even the demons believe in trouble. None of that matters. Do you know Jesus Christ? And if so, are you following him? Because our following him, our obedience, is the evidence of the relationship. So every now and then, I get to be a little bit needy. Is that surprising to me? A little bit. And there, it's been happening a lot over the last week or so. I literally follow my wife around the house. Where are you going? i got to go switch the laundry. Okay. <laughs> right? And then she has to tell me not to follow her into the bathroom. Um, because I, I do. I, I will follow her around the house. I told her this morning. I said, when we get home from church this afternoon, I'm going to require all of your attention today. Just so you know. I don't know why. It's just how I feel. And I get really, really needy. But me following her around like a pathetic lost puppy is part of the evidence of our relationship. She doesn't do that to me. Every now and then she'll be like, I want to hug, now go away. But, <laughs> but it's evidence of our relationship. Following after Jesus Christ, being obedient to his word by the power of his spirit is evidence that we're his. And again, this is not about perfection. This is not that you never get it wrong or that you never sin. Because if that was, if you only come here because you were perfect, we would all be outside. And I'd go first. Because none of us are perfect. But what it's about is getting close to Him, hearing His Word. And then following him. And this is what they did. They were confronted with this reality. From now on, you will catch men. So what are you gonna do about it? And Peter or Simon, whichever, whatever you want to call him, or James or John or Andrew, they all could have looked at Jesus and go, I can't do that. I got I got a business to tend to. Or if it was Peter, unmarried. I, I I gotta go home and take care of my wife and my mother-in-law, who just was healed from this illness. Or James and John, who were working for their fathers. Zebedee. I, I can't leave my dad. I can't do this. Does your Bible say any of that? Yeah, neither does mine. They forsook all and followed him. The word forsook here, a fee I me. It means to leave, and it means to let go. And so sometimes we get this idea, well, following Jesus means I have to abandon my family. No, it doesn't. Following Jesus means I have to quit my job and move to a foreign country. If he's calling you to do that, that's between you and him. But that's not necessarily what following Jesus means. Right? The Bible tells us that if we do not care for our families, we're worse than unbelievers. So that's not what Jesus is necessarily saying. Because the word also means to yield up. Which is a really fancy and unnecessary way of saying surrender. So I don't abandon my wife and my children in order to serve the Lord. But I do at times have to surrender them to him. And there's been plenty of times... Where in my own life, he has called me to surrender, to yield up, to get rid of something that maybe I didn't want to get rid of. Maybe it wasn't sin or to get rid of something I needed to get rid of because it was sin or to go somewhere because he was telling us to go there or to stay somewhere because he was telling us to stay there is hard. But I, you, we are supposed to surrender to him. That's what it means to forsake all and follow him. Is to surrender. And then you couple it with this word for follow. akolutheo, Something like that. And what it means is that there is a union as a disciple or apprentice to the one you will now accompany or follow. So we yield or surrender everything to God. And then we go the same way he goes in union with him. I love the picture that's painted for us there cuz it's very much the picture of marriage. You have two people that they love each other. They set a date or maybe not, they drive to Vegas, just depends on who you are, right? And you get married. From that moment forward, you go everywhere together. I'm talking big everywhere. Right? you go big everywhere together maybe you go to the store separately or, you, know, you know what I'm getting at but there is a union and reality in marriage you surrender yourself to your spouse at least you're supposed to anybody struggle with that? wow, bunch of liars <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one okay, I'm the only honest person here right now um, but even my wife didn't raise her hand I love you You shook your head. That doesn't count. (laughs) Because it's hard, isn't it? Oh, and everybody makes a really big deal out of husbands or or, uh, wives. Submit to your husbands. But what about husbands? Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Ouch. Now, I get it. If I were my wife, I would not want to submit to me. I know what a bonehead I can be. But at the same time, I am called to die for her every single day. And I always do it right, don't I? Where's the head shaking now? Certainly, I don't always do it right. But it's the idea here, right? We see it in marriage. Now, we, as the church, are the bride of Christ. And we, as the church, submit to our husband, spiritually speaking, who is Jesus Christ. And which means we are now unified with him, and where he goes, we go. That's surrender. Matthew 16, 24 through 36. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And that phrase there means surrendering to the will of God. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires To save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This is our calling. Our world and the church world in general, and I know I say this with great I want to say it with great respect because I do not want to insult the bride of Christ. I love the Big C Church. I love our church a little bit more, but I love the Big C Church. But so much of the church world today is trying to make it easy to be a Christian. That's what we see, isn't it? Come to church, you'll be blessed. Give to my ministry, you'll be rich. Right, show up on Sundays, then go about your life and pretend... Like nothing happened. Okay, they don't actually say that, but that's the way they are. And it might look really good on the outside. And there might be people who are listening online who are here today, who I meet on the street, who go, oh, yeah, I believe in in Jesus, and I just love it, and it's so great. I I think I'm going to heaven. Are you following him? Well, you know, I, I do my best. Your best is worthless. I love you. Our best is worthless. Following him is not about how good we can be. It's about the work he has done in us and our complete surrender to him. That means Christianity is not easy. It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be roses. It's not always going to be, you know, uh, oh, what was the thing on uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? Champagne brunches and... Caviar dreams. Champagne brunches and caviar dreams. That is not Christianity. What is it? Take up your cross and follow me. As we close, we see a progression. Teaching, fishing, acknowledging, and following. It's the progression we saw today. Jesus was teaching the multitude... And surely the fishermen heard his teaching. Out of reluctant obedience, Peter lets down the net, and Jesus brings in a miracle catch. And at that moment, Peter acknowledged his own sinfulness in the presence of God, and Jesus calls them to change careers. They would still be fishing, but for much bigger fish, the souls of men and women. I also see a circle here. When a person presses in to get close to Jesus and learn from his word, obedience and surrender will naturally follow or supernaturally follow. However, if a person is not seeking to get close to Jesus and learn from his word, then obedience and surrender will come with much more difficulty. I know this because I've done both. I've had seasons in my life where I was seeking the Lord. I was praying. I was fasting. I was worshiping and serving. And and when God would call me to something or, or point me in a direction, it was easier. And I've had other seasons where I withdrew from him. For whatever reason, maybe it was sin, maybe it was stubbornness, whatever you want to call it. Probably started with an S. I would withdraw. And then when he would call me to do something, I had a hard time even hearing whether I was reading the Bible or anything else, and then it was so much harder to be obedient. Let's take it home. So the first and the most important question that I always ask, have you come to a place of recognizing your need for the cleansing forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus' blood? There are too many people in our world and and I know most of you really well, and so I know this doesn't apply to all of you, but maybe somebody will hear the recording, or maybe somebody's online, I don't know. There are too many people in the world that A, think they're okay. I don't want to think. I want to know. And the only way to know is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then you have another huge group of people who think that if they're just good enough, they'll get in. You can't be good enough. You simply can't. And so if there's anybody who needs to hear this, if there's anybody who thinks they're okay, but you don't know, you need to know. And the only way to know is to know Jesus. Now for the rest of us. How are you intentionally pressing in to your relationship with the Lord? Right? Usually pretty simple steps. Are you reading the Bible? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you serving? Are you loving others? Are you taking time to listen and obey? In what areas of your life do you need to surrender? I hate asking these questions. You already know that. Because when I ask you, I have to answer it first. And so maybe it's something you need to get up, give up, like a sinful or unhealthy behavior, or maybe it's something you need to give in to, like something God is calling you to, or a portion of His will that you have struggled to surrender to. My last question: Have you been faithfully casting your line to the fish around you? I'll be honest. I'm not much of a fisherman. I, I fished someone thanks John for agreeing so much, but <laughs> oh, you just have, I'm not much of a fisherman, but I know this much. If you don't put the line in the water with the hook on the end, you're not going to pull any fish back up. Wow. It is no different when we're fishing for people. We got to cast that line. And, and I know, and I say it a lot. I'm not talking about street corners and bullhorns. I'm talking about, do you talk to the person at Walmart? You guys know how much I care about the cashiers at Walmart. I've been one. It's horrid. I really want them to know Jesus so that they know there's something better than that. But what about your neighbors? What about family? What about whoever. Are you casting that line? There's a famous saying that says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. It's a horrible saying. And I know a lot of people love it, but it's a horrible saying. Yes, our life should reflect the gospel, but people aren't going to come to Jesus if you don't talk about him. Maybe that's you sharing the gospel, maybe that's you inviting them to church, I don't know. But you got to tell them about Jesus. And this all then works in relation to our mission for 2023. We started this year with this goal that each of us would execute PDA once a month. And I told you all when I first introduced this, feel free to rename it. I've gotten one or two suggestions, they weren't necessarily better than PDA. Just saying, no offense Linda, I know you made a suggestion at one point, didn't you? I don't remember what it was though. One person a month. Maybe you invite one person to church a month or you share the gospel with your neighbor or you talk to the person at Walmart and tell them how much Jesus loves them. I don't don't care how you do it, that's between you and God, but one person a month. One day a month of fasting and prayer. So that we can press into Jesus and draw closer to him through his word. So that we can be in a proper spiritual place for surrendering, to, surrendering? surrendering, there's ours in that word, to his will. One act of service per month. That's one of the ways we're an ambassador for Christ. It's one of the ways we cast our lines into the world around us. One person, one day, and one act. It's simple. And I'm not here for you. I'm not going to stand at the back and ask you if you've all been doing it over the last couple months. But that's what we're called to. I guarantee it. These, all of these things, sharing the gospel, praying and fasting, and serving those around us are all commanded in Scripture. So we know it's God's will. And we, as his followers, need to surrender to that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, I think it's really easy for each of us, myself included, to hear this message and forget that it's not all about our works, but it's all about your grace. I pray that we wouldn't forget that, that we would rest in your grace and we would rest in the finished work Of Jesus on the cross for each and every one of us at the same time help us to understand that grace is not an excuse to do nothing because even though we are not saved by our works your grace is at work in our lives and we need to carry that out of here into every aspect of our lives and I pray father for each of us that you would help us I know I need help with that. I know that I want to be your ambassador everywhere I go and in everything I do. And Father, I pray that you would forgive me because there's many times that I don't. But I ask for your help. I ask for your power and your grace to overwhelm us. And I pray that each of us would leave today Not feeling beaten up, but encouraged to follow you the way you call us to follow you. Knowing that you will give us the power to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.